Welcome into the Maroon Mike podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Miller. I'm your other co-host, Daniel Faulkner. And just like when we had Lounge on for the last show, it's been a few weeks uh, since we've had Daniel on to discuss the the happenings around MSU sports. And we actually have a, a lot to go into beyond just football. So, uh, But it, since it has been a while, Daniel, just uh, what's going on with you right now? Yeah, uh, sorry about last week. was busy with work. Andrew and I were texting it out while uh, things were going on. I was in a big meeting. Stuff happens, right? It's life. Yeah. But I'm back. I got off early today. So we're really excited to talk about uh, what could be, likely could be, a decent football game this weekend. Uh, but obviously there's a lot more that's happening in the the world of Mississippi State sports that is worthy of talking about. There, There's a lot that's going on, especially now that basketball season has started. You just had signing day. Uh, for every sport besides football on Wednesday of this week. So lot, lots of exciting things to talk about, I think. Yeah, and we'll start with women's basketball. Uh, they opened up their season with a blowout victory over Missouri Val- – uh, not Missouri, Mississippi Valley State, uh, 104-47 to in Sam Purcell's debut. And, look, obviously, I think we all know uh, Mississippi Valley, that program when it comes to basketball and really all sports has been kind of cursed for a long time. I know, especially on the men's side, like they've kind of gotten a reputation as literally being like the worst program in the country. Um, and I, it's not very different on the women's side, but you still get a dominant victory. Uh, six Bulldogs in double figures. I mean, obviously you score over 100 points. What more can you ask for? Um, that was led by Ja'Kayla Jordan. She had 18 in this game. State was over 66% on their shooting uh, with a 27 to 15 assist to turnover ratio. So nearly two to one there. Forced 19 turnovers from uh, Valley and held them to 26.5% shooting. Um, so just an all-around dominant performance. I believe uh, Latoya Thomas's number was put up in the rafters for this one. Is that correct? Friday. Or was it the next game? Friday next against, game. Uh, North Alabama. And, yeah. and Purcell actually had a thing in his press conference today or last night, probably was Wednesday night. Uh, he, he's challenging Mississippi State fans to uh, sell out the lower bowl for Latoya. It's, it's the night honoring her, right? The greatest, probably top three athlete in Mississippi State history when you look at accomplishments. Probably number one, actually, when you look at all the accomplishments she had. Probably the greatest athlete to ever step foot on the campus. So it, it it's a great opportunity. I'm excited to go there. And, and yeah, her number's going up in the rafters. Um, and, and, you know, I hope, uh, people listen to Purcell, if they let me in the lower bowl, I'd go sit, but me and my, my $5 general admission <laughs> ticket will uh, be sitting in the upper bowl. Well, maybe they do the thing where, I mean, obviously you don't want this to happen because you want a packed house, but maybe they do a thing where, you know, a few minutes into the game, they say everybody can move on down because I know that's something they've done plenty of times in the past, but you're, you're right about Latoya Thomas, one of the greatest athletes to ever set foot on campus. She would definitely get remembered at a higher level had it. You know, had she been like under Vic, then you had some of the team success that you know, players like Victoria Vivians or Tierra McCallan may have had. Um, but it's an all-time great Bulldog, getting her number put up there in the rafters. And again, I think the only other one is Bailey Howell when you talk about Bulldog basketball players. So uh, certainly, look, hey, I've, a lot of people are going to be coming to town for the Georgia game this weekend. I would assume you're probably in town Friday night. Go watch this women's basketball team and go watch Latoya Thomas get her number put up in the rafters. North Alabama Friday night on five, at 530. Um we, you mentioned signing day. Uh, big news in softball. This is kind of out of nowhere. I mean, look, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't keep up with – truthfully, I don't keep up with recruiting much outside of anything but football. 
even as like someone who likes men's basketball as much as I do, I don't follow the recruiting trail that much. And softball, though, signing a top 10 class, um, number 10 ranked class, five prospects in the top 100, top 100. And for Coach Ricketts, this is her first top 10 class. Coming off your first appearance in the Super Regional, literally an all-time great season for the Bulldogs, you're seeing that pay out with bringing in more talent. And in a league as dominant as the SEC, getting these type of players on campus, I mean, I feel like we could be seeing a new era of softball coming to MSU where you rise up the ranks within the SEC. For sure. And, you know, the the softball is a very top-heavy uh, sport. It's very – that's why whenever Mississippi State upset Florida State, it, it was the first time ever in a regional that the number two team had fallen in their own regional. And, and not just two seed in the regional, the national number two seed, right? Florida State was the reigning – uh, runner-ups in the in the women's college world series the year before so it wasn't just any small feat that they accomplished they they definitely achieved one of the greatest moments in in school history and sports there and it's definitely paying dividends and the best part about this class when i took a look at it i mean a few of these names had, had been recruited for a while uh they'd already been committed i think four out of the five in the top 100 were committed before the super regional and now you get to add on the fact that you know, hey, look, look at the success. Ah, can't count. Success. I said count. I can't talk. Oh, wow. Proves that even more. Uh, the success that we have had and you have, you know, the, the greatest home run hitter in SEC history and uh, one of the best in college softball history uh, in Mia Davidson, you know, Obviously, now she's done. She's still part of the team, though. Right. And on, staff. on the coaching staff, she's going to make a great head coach one day. I mean, that that's just – it's destined to happen. She she just has that kind of – that spirit to her and her knowledge of the game that, that that's definitely going to happen, especially under, you know, having a staff to work with her at an SEC school, her alma mater. Um, you know, you got some, some high-level talent coming in, a 16th-ranked uh, prospect, Kylie Edwards. She is an infielder. Um, you know, lots of uh, uh, lot, lots of dynamic playmaking ability for her. You know, she's utility. Uh, obviously, she's going to, as talented as she is, she's going to find a position and, and she'll be able to stick there, right? Um, you have a big pitcher, the number 45th prospect, uh, Hosanna Lindblade. She's a pitcher. We need good pitching. We lost Danny Willis. We need someone else big to come in and, and definitely you know, help uh, – Help replace that uh, the the big arm that we lost because Andy Willis is also one of the ones who who helped carry us to that that super regional. Yeah, for sure. Um, All time great season for softball, and it's great to see it pay off by bringing in more talent. You can it feels like you can really get something going here um, uh, with with that program. Uh, the other diamond sport that gets plenty of coverage as it is. Baseball pulls in the seventh ranked class. That's, of course, with baseball, that depends on what happens with the MLB draft. Look, we've come to expect baseball. We expect top 10 classes. We expect top five classes. So, another good haul for Chris Lamonis. Who are some of the prospects to look at uh, with, with this signing class? Right. You know, the draft, you never know what's going to happen. You do have two infielders from Georgia. Uh, or, yeah, infielders, you know, their they're listed position on perfect game is shortstop. Colin Houck and Dylan Cup. Uh, both very, very talented. The draft could play a role here. Uh, you do have a, a big first baseman from California, Nolan Stevens, six foot three, two hundred fifteen pounds, left-handed power bat. Maybe he'll make it here, right? Usually, 
the higher ranked guys, the ones from Mississippi will stick around. The ones from out of state typically been the ones to to just have the commitment, just to have a commitment until they're drafted. Um, you know, you've got a right-handed pitcher, uh, Makai Grant. He's also from Georgia. So we're getting a lot of talent from Georgia, y'all, if you can't see. And one, uh, going down the list, I have to give it a shout-out. Uh, Rep in Fountain Blue High School, my alma mater, right-handed pitcher, John Alex Walsh uh, from good old Mandeville, Louisiana. So uh, it's cool to see someone that I didn't go to high school with him because he was still a little kid when I – was in high school that that's so crazy to think about now I'm, I feel so old but you know, these kids are coming to college now uh so hope nothing for the best for uh for John Alex Walsh uh one of the I guess one of the greatest uh fountain blue graduates because you're going to Mississippi State buddy you're a good pitcher then it's certainly fun when you can see a, an athlete from your high school go on and make it that mine wasn't the same situation but uh Girl I graduated high school with, Amisha Williams, she actually came to Mississippi State uh, to play women's basketball and got to play some as a freshman before ultimately some personal stuff came up. She had to transfer out. But if you've kept up with women's basketball state of Mississippi, literally an all-time great career at Jackson State with what she was able to do there. So a lot of fun when you can see someone that you went to school with go on and, and kill it. Um, soccer, we talked about this on the last show a little bit. Again, they are hosting an NCAA tournament game against New Mexico State Friday at 3 p.m. So, look, coming to loaded Friday. You have a soccer game going on, 3 o'clock tournament game. Just, I believe it's just the second time in school history that you're in the NCAA tournament. Um, yep. Host in that game. Then you can go over to the hump to watch women's basketball. Uh, and we'll talk in a minute. There's a men's game going on. But this is a really loaded weekend for MSU sports. And, again, you're coming to town for the biggest home game that you have in football a lot of other sports you can definitely go show, show some love to, and you definitely want to go check out soccer when playing in a tournament game at home uh, Friday at 3 p.m. Oh, yeah, and like I said, second time ever, first time they did it, I remember it was my freshman year, played Lipscomb, uh, lost a heartbreaker there, I think an extra time, and, and it was a cold night then. It's going to be pretty chilly on Friday, I think, or maybe Saturday is when it's going to get cold. I don't know, uh, but – uh, yeah, it's a great opportunity if you're in town. Uh, come check out these sporting events. It, it's it's a lot to go to, but I mean it's a it's a product of uh, Mississippi State success. You, know, you you can go to three sporting events on Friday. Go to soccer at three o'clock, basketball at five thirty, and volleyball at eight o'clock. Playing the defending SEC champs, Kentucky. So and and volleyballs, they they had a bit of a rough stretch going now. Uh, they bounce back some, a few wins, and no win would be bigger than than taking down Kentucky on the home court. So, uh, if you're in town, don't just go on Saturday, go on Friday, and you'll have an opportunity to go on Sunday as well if you, if you stick around. So, men's basketball uh, Friday they will be up in Philadelphia as part of the Barstool Sports Invitational, taking on Akron. I kind of lightly previewed that game at the end of my basketball recap on the last episode. I believe the opening line with that game, at least from the Barstool Sportsbook, State was a six-and-a-half-point favorite there. Akron, pretty good mid-major. I uh, believe they were in the tournament a year ago and have three of their top four scorers back. Um, they won a thriller against South Dakota State in, in their opening game, and South Dakota State is another really good mid-major. Should be a competitive game and kind of a good gauge for where MSU is early uh, in the Christian's era. 
But then I mentioned on Sunday, they're coming back to Starkville where they will be hosting Arkansas Pine Bluff. Pine Bluff. Arkansas Pine Bluff at 2 p.m. on Sunday. I know that's a little bit later. You, you might want the game a little bit earlier depending on travel. But, I mean, this is a loaded sports weekend on campus. You talked about it. Three different sports taking place on Friday, then a huge football game at home on Saturday. And if you can stick around for Sunday, you get men's basketball back. So kind of a perfect weekend if you're a Mississippi State fan trying to see as many different sports as you can. There's a lot going on. And, look, I know we did a lot of talking about the John Cohen situation and every how all that played out. And, look, he took a lot of fair criticisms. But something that he and Scott Strickland deserve a lot of credit for is that they did emphasize a lot of these smaller sports and try to make sure that State could be as absolutely good in them as they could be. I know we want to be great in football. I know we want to be great in baseball. We want to be great in men's basketball, women's basketball. But other sports have grown a lot on campus over the last few years. And weekends like you have this weekend kind of shows where that's at, where you've got a lot of sports that are definitely worth to go coming out for. And then you, you sport that's not playing and softball goes out and signs a top 10 class. A lot of fun things happening around campus right now. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at – you're talking about the game in Philadelphia for the men's basketball. Uh, I was looking up this one stat. You know, they Akron was a tournament team last year. They were a 13 seed. Gave UCLA a run for their money. And, in fact, they had a seven-point lead over UCLA with five minutes left in the game. Uh, and, you know, UCLA came back and won that. So, if they're returning a lot of their starters, uh, it's going to be a tough one, right? And you saw that. I guess you recapped it already. You know, you saw it already Monday with uh, the game against Corpus Christi. It was, you know, that State didn't – it wasn't handed to them. And that's the best part about the schedule. It's not going to be handed to you early. You have to go out and earn it quick. You come back home, you get Pine Bluff, who almost upset our Big 12 opponent later in the year, TCU. I thought Pine Bluff was going to come out of, of Fort Worth with a the win. They, they were so close, and TCU just found ways to find the bucket in the last minute. To, to win the game and uh, Pine Bluff missed the buzzer beater to, to win the game. So maybe that means Arkansas Pine Bluff is good. Maybe that means TCU isn't the 14th ranked team in the country. We'll find both of those out here in the near future as both teams will be coming to Humphrey Coliseum this year. Yeah, we, we want to make sure we are not a victim of the epitome of brutality, as John Rothstein likes to say. Uh, shout out to Bellarmine beating Louisville. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. Kenny Payne, former Mississippi State candidate uh, back in 2012. Um, not 2012. Uh, I think that – no, it was either 2012 or – I can't remember if it was the hiring of Halland or the hiring of Ray that Kenny Payne was kind of considered a finalist for the job. But uh, we'll see how that works out for them. Uh, that's that's, a t- that's the team we played last year who destroyed us despite the fact they were not good. Um, let's uh, move on a little bit to football. Um Hey, stripe out Davis Wade, which is something we try every year and something that never works. And look, I, personally, I, I wish we could pull it off. At times, I've been critical of the fan base because I feel like we have a lot of fans who intentionally just say, screw this, I'm wearing what I want to wear. Because then you watch games like, uh, like, I know Penn State's known for their wideout, but Penn State also does a stripe out every single year. And it always looks good. Uh, I know Iowa does one and it looks good. Of course, Tennessee pulls off the checkerboard with ease. And for some reason, state fans just never seem to embrace it. Uh, I will say planning this stuff in the preseason is tough because you don't know what the weather's going to look like. Now, I obviously understand you're like Georgia's your biggest home game. You wanted to circle it around your biggest home game, but it's also in November and it's going to be cold. Uh, 
afternoon high temperatures probably in the low 50s uh, and could be down in the mid 40s by the time you kick off and upper 30s by the time the game ends. It's going to be a very chilly night in Starkville. Not a lot of people repping. Uh, I guess there's a lot of maroon jackets, but if you're talking about people trying to wear white, um, that gets a little bit more difficult. And, and frankly, around here, half the people are going to be in camo uh, when it gets cold like that because that's like the warmest weather stuff they have. So don't know how well the stripe out's going to look, but uh, definitely going to want to bundle up for this one. Oh, it's going to be cold. It's going to be fun. This is what November football is all about. And I'm right there with you. You know, if I, it was funny. We, we had the whiteout on a, a, you know, a November night game where it was a little chilly. And then the stripe out a week later when it's going to be really cold. And obviously, you know, oh, back in August, you're not going to know what how cold it is. Well, yeah, but it's November. It's expected that it could be this cold. And, you know, if anything, this would have been a great true maroon game. Just put everyone in maroon. Uh, you know, you do it for the Egg Bowl every year. Just tell everyone wear maroon at the Egg Bowl. And that's always freezing cold. Uh, at least the ones in Starkville are. And it's okay, though. Uh, you know, I, I, I got a little bit of relief that I didn't feel like I was going to stick out, even though I guess no one would. Uh, my section, we are wearing maroon. And all I have in long sleeve and hoodies is maroon. So I will be wearing my color on Saturday. I was excited about that. Uh, (laughs) That's good to hear. I mean, it's one of those things where partially I almost feel like state should just kind of scrap this. Like, just, like, tell people where they want. Maybe you do one game a year, but, like, let the season play out a little bit before you – you know, determine which game will be like, we're going to do a whiteout or we're going to do a maroon out or something. Um, I remember my freshman year at state, the blackout game was Texas A&M and they picked November. So you're thinking, okay, it'll be cooler. Well, they didn't anticipate that we were going to suck. So it was 11 a.m. game and it was hot. And I'm pretty sure the next year, the same thing happened. We might've done a blackout against like UMass and it was 11 a.m. game. Uh, (laughs) It was warm out there. So like, Blackouts are supposed to happen at night and ideally not in hot temperatures, but like, I feel like we should know, like, I know you said, you know, November, ideally it's supposed to be cold, but we've had plenty of warm November Saturdays. Uh, here I'll say the, the greatest blackout I, I remember that we ever had was, uh, was it my sophomore year against Abilene Christian? Yeah. Uh, sophomore year against Abilene Christian. It was raining. It was cold. We had those TK Martin, uh, jerseys, which were phenomenal. Uh, and the only other one that was also really good, I guess, my junior against Missouri, when we actually had a black helmet with the blackout. Like, whoa. It looks good. It Except there were only like 12,000 people in the stands because people couldn't come to the games. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> yep. So, but we won. Yeah. That's like, State has not had good luck when it comes to like trying to plan certain color outs and uh, when it comes to the weather and kickoff time. But, Hey, if you if you've got the gear that you can, you know, stay warm while also participating in the stripe out, please do. Like I, I would say, like if you if you've got if you like if, if you have maroon and white warm weather clothing or cold weather clothing, but to say warm and like check your section, wear like try to wear the right thing and make it look good on TV. But you know, yeah, if you're in the section next to me and you're wearing maroon, I'm gonna point and laugh at you. Yes, which I might point and laugh at a lot of people, but I'm still gonna do it. Hopefully there's not too much red and black in the stands because uh, I feel like that oh. could that that could play a big role. Um, which, I definitely of, point and laugh. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, they're gonna, careful; they'll bark at you. Um, 
So, speaking of those red, that red and black team, uh, Georgia Bulldogs coming to Starkville. Um, hot take: I think they played the game of football pretty well. Really? Yeah, just something about the, the way I've seen them uh, out there. Like, I think they're a complete team. Um, they 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 do the small things the proper way, and just a, a nice a nice little solid football team. Yeah. Oh, they're they're absolutely phenomenal. I mean, there's no doubt as to reason why they're number one in the country. Um. You know, when you look at how uh, how Oregon's bounced back after Georgia absolutely humiliated them, you know, after that game, everyone was like, oh, Oregon's out. They're done. Uh, now they're, what, ranked sixth, seventh in the country? I believe they're ranked sixth. Undefeated. Excuse me. Undefeated since then and on pace to possibly win the Pac-12 and who knows, maybe slip into that uh, fourth spot in the uh, in the playoff. Yeah, this and, is the year for Bo Nix. He's playing loose. He's having fun. This is the first time he's actually well, – was the first time he's consistently, I think, in the uh, in the top ten. I don't know. And well, uh, We can jokingly do the whole thing. He, he's a dark horse candidate for the Heisman. He legitimately is a candidate for the Heisman right now with the numbers that he's put up, um, which makes the performance Georgia had even more impressive. Oh, yeah. They made him look silly. It was just like he was back in the SEC against – in Auburn and – Back against Georgia. Oh, same old, same old. Yeah, that win last week against Tennessee. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure most people watched it. You know, I watched it up until we went over to, to Davis Wade. I mean, it was it was just beat down. Uh like the fact that Tennessee even got to 13 points was kind of kind of ridiculous. And the fact that Georgia just quit scoring really in the second half, uh, they kind of just like, yeah, we don't need to score because because Great defenses win championships. And Final score does not tell the story of that game. Um, Georgia could have hung 40 if they had wanted to, but it started raining in the second half. They basically said, all right, we're going to take the, we're going to take the let out. We're just going to run the ball, kill clock, trust that our defense will continue to make stops and just get out of here without making a mistake. I mean, that game wasn't even close. And it's hilarious. There were a few Tennessee fans trying to make the argument, like, I don't believe that they took their foot off the gas. You have to give credit to us for keeping it close. There's literally video in the locker room of Kirby Smart talking to his team, saying, hey, we took our foot off the gas there. <laughs> like it, It's not verbatim, that quote, but he, that's basically what he says. So they've been dominant, but, I mean, have played with their food in a few games. Uh, they yeah. let Kent State get up on them early and kind of messed around in that game. The Missouri game, they had to come back in the second half. Uh, and then I'm including this simply because it made it interesting, but I don't think the game was ever actually in doubt. Uh, like they got up 28 to three on Florida and then Florida made it like 28 20 in the third quarter. And then Georgia said, Oh, I guess they're trying to make it competitive and just immediately went and scored a touchdown like that to put it out of the way. But I mean, they've messed around a little bit on the season, but otherwise they've dominated everyone. And I look at this Georgia team and they're essentially what we're used to Alabama being. Yeah. They're, I mean, you know, people are talking about is the dynasty over. I mean, probably not for for Alabama, that is. Uh, but for sure, Georgia has taken that spot. They're they've earned being the number one team in the country. And even even though they had those little uh, little mishaps against Kent State and Missouri, the way they've played since then has been a lot, a whole lot better. And right now, you know, they're in one of their tougher stretches here in the season, playing Tennessee. 
coming to Davis Wade. Who knows? <laughs> Good one, Daniel. And then going to take on Kentucky next. It's it's it is a little bit of a tough stretch for them in in my opinion. They got the first step out the way. You beat Tennessee. You beat the former number one team in the country. Beat them. Dominated them. Proved that you're the best. Now you got like the next two steps going to uh, going to Starkville. And do they play at or they go to Lexington? Okay, so back to back road games coming up, and you know you never know what what they're thinking with that. You know. Old Mississippi State, you know, we'll just walk over them. And they obviously pro- – they could just walk over us. Uh, they're that good of a football team. And when we break down some of the numbers and take a look at it, you'll see too. Yeah, they will probably just kind of walk in, strut in, and we could try to make it a close game, but they can keep on walking and, and win a game. As they did against Missouri and Kent State. Yeah. Um. So let's get into some of that. I think like with Georgia at times we discount what they are offensively because um, we there's so much attention could put on the defense. And, you know, last year the offense I don't think was particularly high flying at times. It was sort of just they went out and handled their business while the defense held teams to three points. Um, but this year they're really, really freaking good. 40 points per game, 514 yards per game. And Stetson Bennett low-key kind of out there slinging that thing, 290 yards a game, completing 68% of his passes at 8.9 yards per attempt. He's only thrown 11 touchdowns, but just three interceptions. And he's also run in six touchdowns. Now, like Stetson's out there, like he, he's playing well. And I think he's doing a much better job than a lot of people want to give him credit for. Obviously, he's a guy who's taken a lot of criticism over the past couple of years um, as to whether or not he even needed to be the quarterback. But look, he he led them. To, he I say he led them. He helped them win a national championship a year ago. And this year has taken a step forward. Now, it does need to be pointed out. He's aided by having some incredible uh, pass catchers on that team. Uh, Brock Bowers, a tight end, is ridiculous. Um, he leads UGA 574 yards at almost 17 yards per catch. There are only two tight ends in the country who have a higher yards per reception than Brock Bowers. One of them is his teammate, Darnell Washington, who is just an absolute physical freak. Um, a tight end getting 17 yards per catch is ridiculous. Three receiving touchdowns, and he's also got three rushing touchdowns. They give this, they hand this the football off to their tight end on jet sweeps. Like I've seen teams do the thing where they'll put their tight end at fullback and like a goal line set and like hand it off to him to power it up the middle. I have not seen teams run jet sweeps with their tight end, but that's what Georgia does because he is that dynamic. And then you add in uh Lad McConkey at receiver, who is a sophomore. He's also over 503 touchdowns. I know they hit a couple big pass plays in the last game to Tennessee. I think he had one of them. Um, but the thing we do associate with Georgia is their ground game. They're still really good, averaging 194 yards per game on the ground, over 5.4 yards per attempt. Diwan Edwards, Kenny McIntosh are sort of your top two guys there. They're, they've combined for 13 touchdowns. And, I mean, part of the reason they're able to run the ball so well is their offensive line is great. They are fantastic up front run blocking. And when it comes to pass protection, Stetson Bennett's, uh, you know, mostly has had time. And, even when he doesn't, he's got mobility enough to extend some plays. So this is a really, really freaking good Georgia offense. And I know State's defense has played well the majority of the season. I have a hard time seeing them being able to limit what UGA can do. Yeah, it's definitely it's hard to it's hard to see it. You know, you look at a guy like Brock Bowers. I mean, it just shows you how kind of crazy the year 2020 was, right? The the few candidates there could have been when Kyle Pitts was a, a finalist for for the Heisman. Brock Bowers could easily, with the way he's playing, the way he's just taking control of football games when he's in there, 
you know, you could you could see him in that kind of conversation too. Obviously, Stetson Bennett is as well because he just he's he's also really good, uh, and and you know the way the Heisman's working is just whoever is uh, the best player on the best team is the guy. That's uh, kind of how they they do it now, right? That's why you see C.J. Stroud getting more attention than a guy like Drake May at at UNC. And all you have to do for that offensive line, you know, you got to look at their size. They are huge. I lo- I think it's cool whenever uh, CBS would uh, do like a field level view whenever they were going up to the line of scrimmage and they would tower over the Tennessee defensive linemen. Enormous guys who are also fat, quick on their feet when the, when the ball snapped, right? They're, they're on a pass block. They're able to get that edge rusher. They're able to catch him, right, wherever he's going and get the block going. And there's just enormous, huge guys. I don't know how to say it. Like, they just tower over everyone else they play. You're going to see the same exact thing on a Saturday night. It's a really big, uh, really towering offensive line. Yeah, no, it, it's a fantastic group there um, up front. I, I remember, like, they've got a like a big-time, like, five-star freshman last year who was going to enter the portal because he wasn't on the field. And you think about how many schools, like, are begging for a five-star offensive lineman to get out there. Um, a lot of talent they've loaded up. And, like, Todd Munkin, that's a name, you know, people in the state of Mississippi is familiar with at OC because of his time at Southern Miss. He's done it a lot of different ways. I mean, he, he has those – NFL roots, some air raid roots, and he's finding ways to just put together a dominant offense for UGA. Now looking over at the defensive side of the ball, you know, there was a bit of a discussion in the offseason um, about, you know, what would the Georgia defense look like compared to last year? Because literally, probably met an all-time historic unit last season. With as good as they were in this era of the sport where you have these wide-open spread offenses, to be as dominant as they were throughout the season and just – all-time good, great the players they put into the NFL, you felt like, okay, they're clearly going to take a step back. And, no, they're not as good as they were last year, but uh, they're still really, really good. Yeah, they're still, like, kind of one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, really awesome. 10.8 points per game allowed. That's second in the country. Eighth in yards per play at four and a half. A high success rate in the SEC in both rushing and passing defense and league play going into last week. And it wasn't updated uh, for the Tennessee game, but considering how that game went, we kind of have an idea that that they're still at number one on that. And, you know, thinking of that narrative that they weren't going to be as good as they were a year ago, there's a narrative going that their pass rush wasn't great. They had the fewest uh, sacks going into the Tennessee game. And, Look what happened. I remember I got the notification during the in Davis Wade is like final Georgia beats Tennessee after sacking Hendon Hooker six times. Six. Like they, they, they did Hooker, have the like, highest pressure rate. Actual pressure rate they had the highest. Um, so that of course includes just getting after quarterbacks, but they weren't getting to the ground. But uh for a Tennessee offense that hasn't given up a lot of sacks yet, sack Kenneth Hooker six times. So that's that's impressive. And all excuse me, just had a little yawn. Uh, you know, all this they didn't even have uh, their top pass rusher Nolan Smith. Uh, they they do have um, Jalen Carter, one of their best defensive linemen, uh, who's back after missing a few weeks. Uh, you know, he he made his pro 
presence known at the interior. You know, you have linebacker. Uh, I always forget how to. Is, is it just Jamin Dumas Johnson? Um, I, I went with Jamon Dumas Johnson. That, that's how. That's how I pronounce it. Um, yeah. Um, you know, and and uh, actually, freshman safety uh, Malachi Starks. Uh, both those two lead the team in tackles. And obviously, you know how good uh, Keely Ringo is at cornerback, right? You know, and uh, made his name known a year ago with that pick six in the championship. Still making his name known here in the SEC, uh, locking down all these defenders or all these wide receivers, my bad. And uh, just to add on to just how good they are, uh, they're the best red zone touchdown percentage allowed in the country. So you get in the red zone, you get if you don't have room to uh, extend the field, they get really good. Yeah, and, you know, Mississippi State, when you talk about their red zone offense, they've been one of the best at converting and getting touchdowns in the country down in the red zone. Um, I don't, I would say that it's an interesting matchup, but I don't know how many times Mississippi State will make the red zone in this game. Um, so, look, this Georgia defense is still loaded. They still have a ton of guys, um, probably better on the back end than they were a year ago. You talk about Keely Ringo and Makai Starks. Starks has two interceptions to lead the team. Um not like forcing a ton of turnovers on the year, but they've just been really, really good. They're great on third down. You mentioned they're great in the red zone. The pressure that they can get on quarterbacks, even if it doesn't always result in sacks, is plenty to create havoc and force mistakes from the other team. And against you know Tennessee, they did get six sacks. And some of that, and I've talked about this with this offense before, like that, that Tennessee offense is they have a lot of plays where they only have one target. They have one guy that they're going to throw to. And it works the majority of the time. But what happens is when that one guy gets covered because you're facing Keely Ringo locking him down on the outside, you don't know where to go with the ball next, and, oh, pass rushes home, sack. You're used to those guys being wide open, and you can get the ball out quick. Didn't happen for them last week. And the way they shut down that Tennessee offense is super, super impressive. Um, Tennessee, and I think I talked about this in the last show, that is a run-first team. They build their offense around their ground game. That's how they want to start things up. Georgia, a lot of that game was lining up with like a five-man box and like saying, basically telling like, we're going to commit our guys on the back end to stop the uh, air, stop your passing game. And we're going to force you to have to drive down the length of the field and run the ball against us and not give up big plays if you want to have success. And part of the reason Georgia was so comfortable doing that is because they know we have the dudes along the defensive front that we can put five in the box and probably stop their run game. Guess what? They stopped their run game by only putting five in the box because they're able to just go up and just, they just made tackle. Like they blow up blocks. They don't, you can't stop them. We've joked a lot about Mississippi state or not, not joke, but like all the discussion about the run game and, you know, winter state going to run the ball and they refuse to run the ball in so many situations. Obviously you got to try it. If they give you a light box, I don't think state's going to have much success running the football against this Georgia front. And frankly, I don't think they're going to have much success overall considering how good they are on the back end. And I mean, look, UGA obviously likes to play more man coverage. And you think normally air raid, like you can take advantage of that. We saw that some back in 2020 where UGA had some plays where they were playing man against state and state was able to win. You remember the long touchdown that Jaden Wally had in that game. Well, for whatever reason, this receiving core from state, they don't, they struggle to win one-on-one battles and you could probably get away with playing some man coverage against them. So it's going to be really difficult. I think for state to get much going on the offensive side of the ball with as much talent as Georgia has and, with where State is at struggling offensively right now, I don't know if they have a lot of answers. Yeah, and, you know, you do see a lot of hope from fans on Twitter and whatnot, right, just that we're going to figure it out. 
We're just going to get better. And, you know, I know uh, Lounge and I preseason said we were going to find a way to win this ball game. I don't know where he stands right now, but I didn't take into account that Georgia was was going to just reload, right, and still keep being the best defense in the country. I didn't expect that. I, I thought they were going to digress with uh, some of the talent that, that had left. Boy, was I wrong, because uh, <laughs> they're still really good. And my hope has kind of gone out the window. You know, don't think of me as a Debbie Downer. I mean, Andrew and I are both saying, like, yeah, we're screwed this whole episode. But when you look at the stats, I mean, it's just like the Alabama episode we had a few weeks ago. We just knew we weren't going to win. And and we know, you know, Bama wins that game. And I hate to say it, but that's what it's shaping up to be on uh, on Saturday night at Davis Wade. And – you know that that kind of hope is 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 gone for me. You know, I, I legitimately thought we could win, and you know, assuming Georgia would already be a one-loss team, they would have lost somebody along the way. They're still undefeated. They're going to go undefeated this year. Uh, they're they're just that good. If somehow we win, we're taking down the goalposts. I don't know what else to say. Uh, you know, we'll keep that trend up in the SEC, but you know, like I, I do see a lot of hope, and I'm glad that we are hopeful. A lot of our fans are. I want them to be, um, you know, I mean, this is the cycle of being a Mississippi State fan. We get hopeful, right? And we want we want to win. We want to win. I want to win. I mean, who wouldn't want to beat Georgia? You know, I mean, that no one would say, oh, I want us to lose. Like, no one wants us to lose. Well, n- none of us wants us to lose. Obviously, Georgia fans want us to lose, but that's just, that's why I'm seeing it, right? And that defense just like we've been going on and on the past few minutes about, they're just that good. They have the best talent. They're the most talented, and they're one of the best coach defenses in uh, in all football. Yeah, and you talk about the defense, you know, expecting a step back. Like, I wasn't necessarily sold on, like, the offense being as good as it was because, you know, I wasn't a huge Stetson Bennett believer, and he's playing better, and he has helped out by some of the skill talent. But, like, that was another factor. I was like – they really don't have receivers. They have a bunch of tight ends, and they're losing some of their running backs. Like, what? What? Like, are they going to be able to lean on the ground game as much this year? They're going back, and like Bennett himself is averaging two ninety a game as a team. They're throwing for like three hundred twenty yards a game on the season. Like, they are dropping back and just put it's a complete offense in, in all phases, and they have gotten better on that side of the ball. And defensively, they have they're not as good, but they're still incredible. It's they are getting to murder ball status which again is where you had Alabama for so long and it's just going to be hard for a lot of teams to really challenge them that said there were a couple teams that did give them some problems this season and while I think a lot of that was UGA just like I mentioned earlier just playing with their food and not really taking those games seriously you always have to consider maybe that can be a possibility so let's talk about a couple of teams that did give them some problems how did they make those games competitive and in one case have a chance to win so we'll start off with Kent State uh, this is one nobody saw coming. Kent State out of the mat, who just – if you ever look at how Kent State likes to schedule, their AD does them zero favors. They literally will always put together, like, three of the most difficult teams to play in the country is what Kent State puts on their schedule every single year. That included going to Athens. But that game, final score, I believe, was 39-22. to 22. Like, and Kent State got up on them 12-10 early. Georgia only had 19 first-half points. It was a competitive game, and here's some of the reasons why. Turnovers. UGA turned the ball over three times, which Kent State got 10 points off of. 
There was another scenario where Georgia had driven the ball into Kent State territory and then threw an interception. Now, it did immediately leave to Georgia forcing a safety, so they still kind of got points off the drive in a way. But again, you're talking about you know the potential of taking away a touchdown off the board or a field goal. Um, you know, if Georgia turns the ball over, you give another team chance. And they had a long touchdown pass off a screen pass. They had a, in a few more explosive plays, a few missed tackles mixed in there. And you know Kent is one of those veer and shoot teams that you know they did some window dressing and some motion and some stuff that kind of confused Georgia, which. It was. It helped them a lot when they played Tennessee later in the season, facing a similar offense. They were kind of able to build off of that. Uh, Kent State had a touchdown drive where they faked a punt, so there's some aggressiveness on the road that paid off for them. Uh, and there were a few drives for UGA settled for field goals. Now Georgia offensively kind of moved the ball the entire day in that game, which you would expect. They're playing Kent State, right? Like you're not going to see them ever really get stops. It was more that UGA made a couple mistakes. I mean, they still scored 39 points, but what you see was the kind of the key there turnovers and a few explosive plays and you have to take advantage. And that's kind of what happened the, ne the next, I think it was the very next week when they played Missouri and they have to come back from down and they win 26, 22. Uh, I think they were down like 13, nothing early in that game or something along those lines. Like now look, it's worth noting for Missouri. They have a good defense. Um, Missouri has been competitive in pretty much every game they played because their defense is good. They managed to get a lot of pressure on Stetson Bennett throughout the night, got a couple sacks, had like seven quarterback hurries. Um, and they were kind of winning up front, at least throughout the first half. Georgia kind of struggled to get the ground game going, which they made a switch from doing more zone runs to kind of more gap scheme runs in the second half. I know that was a big note that Cole Kublick made when he was sort of recapping that game. Um, Georgia made a change for how they were running the football, and they ended up running the football really effectively in the second half because of it. But Missouri hit some explosive plays. Now, the different problem for them is they did not convert those into touchdowns. They had to settle for field goals in some of those situations. Um, they, and they did have a couple scoring drives, uh, including their only touchdown drive that were helped by pass interference. And Georgia had one PI that on a third and 17. It's like, you know, that's Georgia making a mistake. Um, and speaking of mistakes, they turned it over twice. Now, Missouri only got three points off of those two turnovers. Though. So what you see is that UGA made a lot of mistakes in this game and gave Missouri opportunities. Missouri did not convert. And that's going to be big when we start talking about the keys of the game in a few minutes. If Georgia makes mistakes, you have to capitalize. And uh, that I think MSU has, by and large, done a pretty good job of capitalizing on opponent mistakes this season. Um, the problem is MSU makes plenty of the mistakes of their own, and you can't do that if you're playing Georgia. You absolutely can't. And that's part of it is you hope to get lucky at moments. And when you get lucky, you have to be good on top of it. You know, you you get a lucky break. Oh, they turn the ball over. Score the football. Score. Like, like put up a touchdown. Get points, right? And, you know, you saw Kent State do that, right? Ten points off of turnovers wasn't enough. But, obviously, it's Kent State. They are not good enough to, to keep up with Georgia. This is an SEC team. We are. We are an SEC team. So, if you get lucky in those moments, go take advantage of it. Because if you return an interception with a three and out, that is not a good look. Not a good look. Your defense, you know, just got excited. And three plays later, you're right back on the field. And now the momentum went right back to Georgia. Yeah. And, and you know, getting into that, that's the first key of the game. It's like you got to get lucky. And I think we said the same thing against Alabama. But Georgia is the new Alabama. They're the they're they're what Alabama's supposed to be. Um, 
there is it, it is a situation of if you play your A plus game, but Georgia plays its C game, Georgia probably still wins. It, like you can't, you you still have to go out and hope that they make plenty of mistakes. Um, but there you have to have some hope that there's a letdown factor. Um, Georgia's going on the road to what we hope will be a hostile environment after a huge win, again a win that basically sealed up them winning the SEC East because they're not going to lose twice the rest of the way. Um, and you get a massive game and kind of like pretty evident with the way that they handled the Florida game. They spent most of their time prepping for that game and the bye week ahead, prepping for Tennessee. They kind of looked at Florida and said, yeah, we'll handle our business there. Tennessee is its own special animal. They're going to spend all of our time in these three weeks of preparation getting ready to win that game because that game wins us the East. You kind of hope that that means that they're not going to be ready for the air raid. Now, we say that, and teams have been plenty ready for the air raid this season. Unfortunately, it feels like it's kind of simple to stop right now. But you, you, that's one of those things you just have to hope that they get into a situation where uh, they're not going to be prepared for, for what you throw at them, which means you need to jump out on them early. And if they make some mistakes, because, look, they've been prone to sloppiness, you got to capitalize, just like Daniel was talking about. When, when you get those opportunities, if you get those opportunities, you have to convert, um, you know, just actual, you know, a little bit of scheme talk. Georgia, we mentioned earlier, they like to play man. I think you need to attack them down the field. That's, that's hard to do because it's, it's hard to give Will Rogers time to get plays downfield. But if you get, and frankly, state receivers haven't been winning, but if you get those opportunities, you have to get after them. Cause I think if you just tried to, you know, nickel and dime against them, they're just going to swarm up and blow it up. And I think, you know, you got to go fast. You got to get the ball out quick. Um, you know, obviously, if they give you some looks to run, try and do it to get you something going and find some other options. It, it's going to be tough for this offense. I mean, defensive side of the ball, I, I didn't really put anything down. But, I mean, pray that your safety somehow can contain Bob Powers and Darnell Washington. Um, yeah. I, it, like, I, I don't know. I mean, if you could – there's been a few times teams have been able to get after Bennett, but not much. Uh, if you can try to – State's run defense has been better. I know they gave up a ton of yards to Auburn, but that was really a couple big runs and then Robbie Ashford. They, like, Tank Bigsby and uh, Hunter didn't have huge games. Um, maybe you can limit it and force Georgia to actually have to throw the ball a little bit and, and you know, can have a little bit more success that way. But it, it's it's going to be really difficult. Right, and – I think one, one key on defense would be uh, to contain Stetson Bennett if he does decide to run, right? He's not as fast as Robbie Ashford because Ashford had his beat. Anytime he ran, we couldn't catch up. You could catch up to Bennett, hypothetically, right? You could catch up to him. He's still a fast guy. He does have some good wheels on him, as you saw in that game against Tennessee. But got to make sure that you know, if he does run, you track him down. Track him down before he gets to to, to the line of scrimmage even. You know, if he if he runs, rolls out to the outside, you know, linebackers got to get there. Jet and uh, and Bookie got to get there and get, uh, get him to the ground. And uh, that's my key right there on defense is uh, contain him if you need to. Uh, but, you know, depending on how they're – their uh, receivers are maybe they'll just be open and he won't have to run. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, hopefully you get Emmanuel Forbes back. Um, I know that's more for covering their receivers on the outside, but 
yeah, I think it's apparently he was back at practice this week, so that would be big for you um, because they do have some guys in the secondary, specifically the tight ends, but they've got players who can, they'll line Brock Bowers up outside them. So maybe you get Emmanuel Forbes on him and hope that he can make a play there. So I I think well, real quick on this, uh, as our little number game, what is the yard per – I won't even do it for MSU won the game. What is the yard per attempt that Will Rogers will have for you think we are in the game? He has been under six the last three weeks. It was like 5.8, five and a half against somebody, and then like under four, I believe, against Alabama. Um, have not been pushing the ball downfield the way they were early in the season. So uh, what, what's the yards per attempt at the end of the night that you think Will can have that State is competitive in the game? Competitive. Going to have to be seven or seven and a half. Um, I mean, as you see when it's been low, obviously our success rate's been down here. You got to get a few 25-yard passes in there to bump that up a lot. It's the only way you're going to do it, I think. And at that point, just get to the red zone at that point. The way we've been playing in the red zone, you hope it compares to theirs. But, yeah, get those deep plays into the red zone. So, seven. I'll stick it with seven and a half. Seven and a half, that's what I'll say. I'm right there with you. Seven and a half is the number that I would look at. Um, no, you're right. Like Georgia has a few times been prone to a couple of explosive plays. And look, t- Tennessee had some chances. I, I, that does get lost in that game. There were a few deep balls where uh, Hinton Hooker had guys open and he missed. Now, obviously, different offense. They do attack downfield much more than we do, but – if you've get, got some opportunities to hit plays downfield, get, an, get a catch-and-run opportunity, something, you got to make it count. So uh, I think I write there with you, six, seven and a half. I think it – I've always said with the air raid, if you're north of seven, that's a re- pretty good day for you considering how much stuff we throw underneath. Um, I mean, but seven and a half, maybe even eight against Georgia defense. If you want to think you have a chance, that's probably the range you got to be in. So I think everybody kind of knows where we're leading on that game. So we'll, we'll obviously, as always, we'll hold our prediction off towards the end. Now let's talk about our the the pick'em for the week. And we both sucked last week, four and six weeks for the two of us. Uh, we were wrong about Texas A&M. Uh, we were wrong about Arkansas. We were wrong about Alabama. Uh, we were wrong about Kansas State, although they almost came back. We were wrong about Wake Forest, uh, and then we did have a couple differences. I took Oregon State in the Friday night game. You took Washington, close game. Oregon State could have won, but uh, the Huskies end up pulling that one out. And then you were bold. You went with Tennessee um, to, to pull. Like, hey, you know, I, I don't blame you, uh, but UGA gets it done. Still, both go four and six. So uh, I still have a 10-game lead on the season, 60 to 29 compared to 50 and 39. But in terms of the head-to-head record, the score predictions, we were both pretty wildly off. So I just tried to come up with a weird way to calculate it, and it gave you the advantage. So – uh Therefore, you get the tiebreaker. So three and seven on the year uh, compared to seven and three for me. And if we're doing a rare victory, I love it. <laughs> if we're doing head to head, even though you didn't make up ground in the overall results. Pretty good <laughs> slate of games this week. Some interesting matchups in the SEC. Uh, let's see where we lean on a few of these. Uh, Missouri. It, it's tough. Like they should have beaten Kentucky. They obviously had the Auburn game won earlier in the season. We just talked about they were competitive with Georgia. So many close games on the year. Um and now they have to go to Neyland Stadium against a Tennessee team that's going to be PO'd after the way they performed. Look, Missouri's defense is better than people give them credit for. Maybe they can give Tennessee some problems, but uh, I, I'm not taking them to go into Neyland to beat the Vols. 
Yeah, and I'm in the same boat. Tennessee's going to win it. Look, I'm mad about that Missouri game last week. What is that, that guy supposed to do? Like, he's supposed to just let the punter punt the ball? Like, it's his job to block it or stop him from punting it. That's enough of that. I, I'm going to complain too much. I know the rule, the tackle box, yada, yada. It's stupid. Vols, they're going to win. Sorry, Missouri. I want you to win. I really do, but. It'd be very funny. It would be very oh. funny. Um, after, by the way, Missouri just gave Eli Drinkwitz a two-year contract extension, and they're now going to be paying him $6 million a year. And apparently that number goes up each year of his contract, which I said this on Twitter. State fans, you better prepare yourselves now. You're going to be very mad. Mike Leach is probably going to start making $6 million a year when it's all said and done this offseason, regardless of what happens down the stretch. Just you, you can be mad. You're allowed to be mad. I am prepping you now because that is the con- the state of coaching contracts. And they are ridiculous. They are stupid. But schools keep doing Uh Next game. This one is interesting. Number seven, LSU, massive win over Alabama. Brian Kelly uh, shows, you know, he, he said it in the locker room. One of the players, I believe it was Ollie Gay, said, this is why you came here, to which he said, hell yes. Um, goes for two in overtime to take down Alabama 32-31. Incredible game, incredible defensive game plan. Now they have to go up to Fayetteville for the boot game, taking on the Arkansas Razorbacks, who have been really um, – Arkansas defensively has been a mess for most of the season. There are still some questions about KJ Jefferson's health after them coming off a loss at home to Hugh Freeze and Liberty. Everything in the world says LSU should win this game and win easily, but the Tigers are only a three and a half point favorite because this is an all time letdown spot. And this is a game that LSU, like their fans do not, do not enjoy going up to the state of Arkansas. They don't like this rivalry. Because weird things happen in this rivalry. So how do you feel? Yeah, you know, my boss, Ole Miss fan, he's so convinced that Arkansas is going to win it. He put on his red and blue glasses that he's so convinced that that Arkansas is going to win this and and Ole Miss can beat Alabama so that Ole Miss would go back first in the West. Um, I'm going to take the Tigers and just pray for the sake of the SEC West that, that it's a blowout. But we both know that's not happening. <laughs> I'm also going to go with LSU. Great tidbit on today's Cover 3 podcast from Bud Elliott that Saturday is the opening of, like, modern rifle season or mo- modern weapon hunting season in the state of Arkansas. Um, so, like, instead of having to use bows, they can use, you know, actual, you know, like, rifles and shotgun. Um which means you might have a lot of people out hunting. Apparently, Arkansas does not like having big games on the day that that happens because they lose fans for hunting. So I'm, I'm going to go with the, the chance of there may not be a great home atmosphere, when you, especially when you couple in the, the way that they have struggled in recent weeks and probably expecting that they're going to lose to LSU. So I'll take the Tigers at home because of that little tidbit that a lot of Arkansas fans may be out hunting instead. This game might be ugly disgusting two teams that are not fun to watch Vanderbilt at number 24 Kentucky Kentucky has no business being ranked but they are um Kentucky like Kentucky being ranked and to be fair we've been this team before is one of those pieces of evidence of the college football playoff committee just putting SEC teams that are not don't deserve to be ranked in the top 25 to bolster up the resumes of other SEC teams Vanderbilt probably missed out on their opportunity to win an SEC game when they lost to Missouri. They got blown out against South Carolina. Kentucky has looked terrible for several weeks now. Uh, 
that said, I don't trust Kentucky, so I'll take the Cats at home. Yeah, I would love nothing more than for Vanderbilt to win this game, just because why not? But Kentucky, they're better. They're going to win. That's all that matters. I kind of don't want Kentucky to lose because I would like that loss to not look as bad when it's all said and done. But at the same time, we all know – we all know the situation around that game. Kentucky is not good. State played terribly. Uh, if you're looking for what was the bad loss on the season, that was it. Although it was almost Auburn. Um, top 25 matchup, yeah. SEC on CBS game of the week. Actually, top 12 matchup. Number nine, Alabama goes up to Oxford. They call number 11 Ole Miss. Alabama has two losses in the season. This is the earliest Bama has two losses in the season since 2010. Like, this is the first time since 2010 that we have reached this point of November, and Alabama fans know we cannot win a national championship. And that is a weird spot to be in, which makes, considering a Bama team that has not played good on the road this season, um, going up to Oxford for what will probably be an incredible atmosphere. Ole Miss fans know they still have an outside shot at the SEC, um, even though they you know lost to LSU. LSU, you know, could obviously potentially lose this weekend. And if Ole Miss wins out, then Ole Miss is your West champion. And God, I do not want to see it. Um, I'm really praying, by the way, that we get the – because obviously the SEC is probably going to ditch divisions within the next few years. I would love to be able to say that Ole Miss literally never won the SEC West. Um, That would be the greatest thing ever if they went the entire history of the SEC West and they never won it. Uh, So – I'm I also think it would be cool if a snuck one in there as well. So you could say if AM was able to at least get one SC West champion, say that Ole Miss is the only team to never win the West. That would be incredible. That that would truly be something special. Um, I'm going to hold out a hope, though, that Alabama takes care of business. I don't actually think Ole Miss is all that good. They showed for several weeks they were kind of a bit fraudulent. And then obviously the LSU beats them down. They didn't look good against Texas A&M, who was garbage. I'll take Alabama to bounce back and be able to beat them. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, yeah, uh, they're not a great team. You, you see, I don't know what their strength record is, but it's not great. All they 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 played six opponents. That they were six and zero, and then their next six games were all against SEC West opponents. All of their SEC West opponents came the second half of the season. They got lucky of getting Kentucky at home, and then you get you get to play Vanderbilt every year, which is an automatic win. So congratulations for you. And, yeah, Alabama win it. This one could be interesting. South Carolina going to Gainesville. Uh, Carolina got bowl eligible by beating Vanderbilt. I think Florida still needs a win. Uh, now, Florida does still have Vanderbilt left on the schedule, so that's probably coming. But kind of an interesting game here down in Gainesville. Two teams that – have at times looked good at times not looked impressive at all uh i i really don't know like i feel like this game will probably be a little bit ugly um but i'm gonna take the gators at home anthony richardson is better than spencer rattler so well when you look at uh florida's record right they've they have played very well at home this year they had the win against utah start out the season did lose to kentucky um which you know i was a little bit surprised by that yeah, September stuff happens, and then you lost to LSU. I mean, you can't really be that mad about it. LSU ended up being really good this year. I'm going to take Florida. Um, I, I still think they're going to play really good at home. 
Spencer Rattler is just not going to have what it takes to to get to get the win there, but I think it'll be close. Speaking of games that are not good, Texas A&M, who could be staring four and eight in the eye if they lose this one, goes on the road to the plains of Auburn to take on Cadillac Williams and the Auburn Tigers, who had Auburn Jesus rise up just enough to put fear in the heart of every Mississippi State fan last Saturday. It feels like they might actually get a big crowd at home. Fans are excited about Cadillac. I think Texas A&M has quit. I think the Aggies are just straight up bad. Auburn is bad, but Auburn at least has something going for them. Like they've got a good run game and they have a you know good defensive front. A&M, I don't know what they have going for them at all. And I think that team has given up. I think there's a new life in the Auburn program. Give me the Tigers to get the win. War Eagle. Yeah, A&M's just so bad. So bad. And you know, it's funny, this this series, typically the road team has found more success in its recent history. That's when both teams were competent, right? Both teams had competent defenses and offenses on the field. They're both bad, but just like Andrew said, Auburn's got something going. And the way the plays played under uh, Cadillac Williams, I mean, they're pretty – they got something going, and they had a they had a sign of life against Mississippi State, and Texas A&M has no life. Uh, I watched you know the entire game against Florida. That second half, they couldn't do anything on offense. They, you have the halftime, and you put up twenty four points by halftime. Congratulations, you put up basically nothing the rest of the game. You gave up at halftime. Just gave up. Same thing could happen here. They could have a lead at halftime. They're not doing anything in the third quarter. Auburn will take the lead and win the game. Yeah, despite the fact that Auburn fans continue to be whiny little babies about cowbells, um, as they always are, uh, I am cheering for Auburn to somehow win out here, beat A&M, then they have, like, I think an FCS team or something next week, or a small school. What if Alabama has truly quit and Auburn leads that game? <laughs> it's in Tuscaloosa. It's in Tuscaloosa. bull eligible. Yeah, because the loser of this game, A&M and Auburn, won't be bowl eligible. Right. No, both of them have to win out. And, like, when the Iron Bowl is – like, the Iron Bowl is always – like, Auburn always has a chance when it's in Auburn. It's in Tuscaloosa this year, and typically that's where blowouts have happened. But, like, I don't know if they've won in Tuscaloosa. I think it would be 2010, Cam. the Camback game. Cam. Yep. Which was also the last time that Alabama knew their season was, by their standards, over at this point. It would be so funny. Um, So we're going to talk into – I'm sure we're saying this. They're going to lose Texas A&M now. Um, But we're both taking the Tigers. We'll roll through this quickly because our Zoom time is running up, and I don't want to have to fire another Zoom up. So a couple national games, three top 25 matchups. Shout out to the American Conference, two little group of five. Tulane, roll wave, number 17 in the country, highest ranked group of five team. Um, That loss to Southern Miss looks so weird. But – no, the USM actually isn't terrible this year. Hosting UCF and talking about Auburn, Gus Malzahn, who's ranked number 22 in the country, this game kind of could be a huge deciding factor in who goes on to win the American Conference this year. W- which way are you going in this one? Yeah, I think UCF is back as the king of the group of fives. Give me the Knights. They're going to win it. You said king's a group of five, but the problem is none of the group of five teams are particularly good this year. 
That said, I can yeah. definitely see UCF getting the win. Um, but I'm going to take Tulane at home. There are some questions about whether or not John Rice Plumley is good to go for uh, UCF. They've been playing – I think his name is Mikey Keene is the backup, who is a much better passer than Plumley, but isn't much of a runner. And really, Malzahn's offense, they need to get the ground game going to be successful. I'll take Tulane at home, something special with the wave, although they do have a really tough stretch to close it out. Uh, Pac-12 matchup, 25 Washington goes on the road to number six Oregon in the fighting Bo Nixes. Oregon – dominates this series this is a big rivalry but Oregon has won like I think Washington's only won like twice in the last 15-16 years or something crazy like that uh I will take the Ducks at home Washington's defense is garbage yeah Washington only won last week because they were favored against a a a ranked team at home that's been the story this year on on sports betting and they did it to Michigan State earlier but they're on the road now you're at Oregon you're at Odson Stadium you're not coming out alive. Uh, Bo Nix wins it. And the game that college game day went to, even though they absolutely should not have. Number four, TCU and the Hypnotoads going on the road to number 18, Texas, who did get a big win against Kansas State despite their best effort to choke that one away last week. I don't really – like, Texas is favored by over a touchdown here. Um, talent level with, you know, Sark and that offense is the – you know, they're expected to be able to get it done. TCU – this is such a weird game because Texas always gets up to a big lead and then blows it in the sec- second half. TCU always falls behind by multiple scores and then comes back to win in the second half. I am very interested to see if, if that trend continues in this game. I will go with the Hypnotoads. Give me TCU. Yeah, I don't know why Texas is favored by so much, but that's kind of the reason I am picking Texas to win it. Not so much to cover, but to win it. And I don't want Texas to win it. I'd rather TCU go undefeated, but I think they're going to go 11 and 1. Still with the conference championship, but 11 and 1, 12 and 1 technically then uh TCU. All right, so we do have a couple difference there, differences there. Oh, stayed the same through the SEC slate, but nationally a couple different picks. Don't have a lot of time left here, but I don't think it needs much discussion. Mississippi State, Georgia. Bulldogs taking on the Bulldogs, Cowbells versus barking at children. I'll just get my score prediction out of the way. I don't see MSU having much of a chance in this game. I think there is a letdown factor for UGA, but I still don't trust MSU to be able to capitalize. And I just think the offense is going to be stifled for much of the night. I don't think you can get much going. And eventually, stopping Brock Bowers in Darnell Washington, I have a hard time believing they'll do it. 33-12, give me UGA. Yeah, um, I do think State will hold Georgia under 40. Um, Not by a lot, but they'll hold them under 40. Uh, I got him at a 38-23, really with a touchdown or two in garbage time. Could be two touchdowns, maybe just one. But, yeah, it it won't be like Alabama where they, they stay pretty stiff through the end of the game and you just so happen to get a touchdown in the last second. Um, I think Georgia will, will take their foot off the gas in the second half, but they're just good enough that it won't really matter. So 38-23, Georgia. Yeah, it's a situation where I feel like Georgia could make some mistakes and give State opportunities, but I just don't trust State to turn them into points. So we're both going with big victories for the Georgia Bulldogs over Mississippi State, and that's going to set up a stretch run down the season where you really, if you want to feel confident going forward, Mississippi State has to win out. Big weekend on campus, a lot of fun sporting events. Everybody enjoy it. Everybody go out and support all the teams. And as always, swing your sword, hail State.